What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Ace of Spada podcast, hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spada. And on today's episode, I am joined by another Excellence Cartel podcast host, Jeffrey Sue. Um, this one was pretty cool. We we got down deep down into gut health, literally everything about from how sleep and stress affects your gut health to we even touch on. Jeff's um, protocol for going through SIBO. So stay tuned. You're going to find out a lot about gut health. Take some notes. Um, if, you, if you don't learn anything the first time, go back and listen to it a second time because I bet you will find something new that you haven't known before. So before we get to the episode, as you guys know, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Morphogen Nutrition, literally the best supplement company in the nation, I actually just took a trip to Columbus, Ohio, and got to meet the owners of it, Ben and Deidre, and man, this company is like family to me. Um, they have literally the best products. I got to try some of their cool ones, some of their proteins this week. Highly recommend those. Um, yeah, you can use code SPADA for 10% off all products. Um, go check them out. Go try something. Morphocom is one of my favorite, along with their non-stim pre-workout volume gen. So use code SPADA at checkout. And as you guys know, I am an online coach. I have a few spaces open for my coaching. Um, the link is in the show notes if you guys want to sign up. I have a few spots left available. So all you got to do is fill out the application, and I'll get back to you within 24 hours. So I don't want to waste any more of your time because this has been a long introduction. Um, so let's get to the episode. Let's welcome on. Jeffrey Sue. If you want to give a quick introduction to yourself, um, I'll give a quick sure. background to you real quick. But this guy is one of the co-hosts to probably my favorite podcast in the world, which is means it's an honor to have him on my show. Um, the Excellence Cartel is like we were just talking about before we were off. We were off air. Um, they have less episodes than I do, but their podcast <laughs> is extremely informative. And if you don't know about it, you need to go check it out because it's just awesome. And their three personalities are great for the show. So, Jeff, I guess, can I call you? Can we just call you Sue? Is that kind of how we're going to do you this? Call it, you, we can stay consistent to uh, how Jeff Black does it on the Excellence Cartel. That's fine. Yeah. So, um, I'm with uh, Jeffrey Sue. Um, yep. The Excellence Cartel. Kind of want to give a quick intro to yourself, like I said. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, like 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 Anthony said, you know, my name is Jeffrey Sue. I am a health and fitness coach. I own a company called First Call Out Fitness, and I'm based in Massachusetts. Um, I live, you know, about 40 minutes west of Boston, and um, you know, I specialize in women's hormones contest prep. Um, troubleshooting like you know GI issues and you know all the hormone issues that women have so I coach primarily women my demographic I would say is women from the ages of 35 to 70 and they have a, a, a variety of um, hormonal issues like estrogen dominance or you know GI dysbiosis or hypothyroid so I specialize in those conditions and use training and nutrition and uh, you know natural supplements to help them um, oftentimes in conjunction with their medical uh, treatments from their PCP or their specialists. 
So um, you know, I've been doing this since like 2013. I'm certified by the ACSM to train. I have a nutrition certification uh, through the AFPA as well. But outside of that, a lot of my experience and knowledge just comes from reading. Um, I get, you know, get my hands on, you know, all sorts of books, you know, throughout the year, you know, uh, literature online, medical texts. I have like several endocrinology textbooks that they actually use in medical school. So I'm just, you know, someone who just loves, you know, knowledge and, and just learning. There's always just so much more to learn. So, oh, yeah. Um, I think the book I'm pretty much ordering soon is probably your three favorite book, probably the cortisol connection. Um, it, I, yep. I've learned a lot about cortisol just from actually more so the experience of just working with clients and like also mm -hmm. having a coach myself kind of seeing what my coach may be looking for and then learning from him. Yeah. So it's a weird way yeah. that people do learn how to coach. I say a bunch of it's from just experience. Um, yeah. And I've gotten better at that. You know, I, I don't have nearly as much clientele as you do, um, but uh, growing it nonetheless, every single, hopefully every That's single. Okay. Moment. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. So it's cool to have, I actually think it's cool to have less clients right now because I'm going through that phase. Like we're talking about where full-time job and everything. So to give them right. enough time and get myself settled into the process of all that is exactly. enough as it is, but it's great to be able to yep. have that. Um, so quick question before you, before we start getting into our topic, um, how did you find this demographic that you wanted to work with? Cause I know for a lot of male coaches, this is something uh oh, you, you froze up. Did I freeze? Okay. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to- You froze so a little bit. Okay. So we're going to go back. Hopefully Ask me my, that question again. You can, you can edit it. Yeah. Um, no, this is a no edit podcast. So we go with the flow here. Oh, so, no way. Okay. So people, I'm sorry you got that. Um, so my question is, how'd you come up with that demographic? Because like I was mentioning, people, especially male coaches, are yeah. very afraid of coaching women because- their body is you have to learn a lot more with what you have to do. Um, so yeah. how'd you come to that demographic? I think, you know, first of all, like to echo what you just said about a lot of male coaches um, who have the, the, that problem, it's because, you know, they're, they're, they're guys, you know, they're guys and maybe the way they portray themselves on social media is a little too rough and tough, you know, rough around the edges, a little too much bodybuilding and, you know, I'm not talking down on bodybuilding at all. I love bodybuilding. I, you know, I look the part, you know, um, you know, I act like a bodybuilder. I can be a meathead too. Um, but there's a side of me that gym, So <laughs> Yeah, I know. I get kicked out of gyms uh, for screaming, fuck yeah. So, um, but there's also a side of me that empathizes with a lot of women and the problems that they go through, um, you know, inside the doctor's office and outside, you know, women have been, you know, for lack of a better word, abused by the fitness industry, you know, God, like probably before I was born, you know, in the eighties, you know, when all, you know, the, you know, the, all the aerobics started and the fat-free diets and the keto, the Atkins and, and all this stuff. And, and women don't know heads from tails, um, not to mention even, you know, like birth control, throwing that into the mix. Um, women as young as, you know, 14, 15 are being put on birth control and that's changing their hormonal profile for life. And so I recognize that there was a need for, you know, education and instruction in this area. And I said, hey, why not, you know, um, you know, insert myself into this space and, and be, you know, a good influence and a guiding light. So I just did my best to educate myself and, and you know, through a lot of trial and error with women who were, were trusting 
of me to allow me to sort of practice on them in the beginning. And I just got better and better. And, um, you know, the reputation grew and I found myself coaching, you know, at, at some points over a hundred clients on my roster. And I would say probably 90% are women. Yeah. Um, it's really funny cause my coach is also like the exact same way. He has a predominantly female clientele. Yeah. So I'm part of like the minority here on the team and it's kind yeah. of cool to get that. Um, but it's funny enough, um, a lot of people don't know this. My first client was actually a female and I learned good. Yeah. you had to learn a lot real quick, especially with right. that. Um, it's not just a lot of people think the basis for coaching is just calories in calories out and switching up macros and everything, but it goes a lot deeper than that, especially when you're talk when you bring in training and what they're eating and how and how often they eat in like all like their menstrual cycle and everything there's a bunch that goes into it that a lot of people don't know about but they all just think it just goes back to the theory a lot of people always just go back and what destroys them is that psycho calories in calories out like just absolutely wrecks every single person i know that comes to me absolutely absolutely so um so kind of how'd you get into so i know you kind of briefly mentioned it um, right before we get in, how'd you get into the coaching biz? Because this is always a cool part that I like to see with each person. Most, most of the, yeah. most of the guests I've had on are online coaches themselves. So I kind of want to get yeah. your little journey real quick. Sure. Um, you know, while I went to business school, um, for both undergrad and then 10 years later, I obtained my MBA in finance and, you know, through your, during that gap of 10 years. You know, I worked in corporate finance within the retail and healthcare sectors. And, um, you know, I got into finance, you know, because, you know, I thought that, you know, I'd make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, when I actually got into that space, I realized just how like empty and meaningless it felt to me. I'm not saying that's a poor career path. I know a lot of people love, you know, working in that field. I'm not saying it's a bad career path to pick. Just for me, I always felt like I was a fish trying to climb a tree. You know, I just felt like I didn't belong. And, uh, you know, the money was good. You know, it's good enough to keep you in the chair, you know. Um, And I felt that, you know, there was always something missing. And I knew that I had to get out. So I, you know, took a chance on myself. I leaned on my parents and leaned on whatever resources I could to change careers. I actually lived at home, you know, in my late 20s with my parents for a long period of time. Um, as I was trying to make ends meet and start this new career. And, uh, you know, luckily it just worked out because I, I loved it. You know, I've always loved bodybuilding and working out. And I really wanted to share, you know, this, this feeling that I get every day when I, you know, wake up and make my meals and go to the gym. It sounds so simple, but it gives me such a, like a sense of security and peace and happiness to be able to, you know, change my body and, you know, be in control of my health. And I want other people to feel that too. Yeah, that's the exact. I got in it for different reasons. Mine was more on the personal side, more towards this is why I'm having Jeff Black on the show. Um, yeah. Mine's, mine's more towards the suicide aspect is when I was uh, 17, I almost committed suicide. Um, and I got into fitness because of that. But it's that joy that I get, which is why I created both my coaching business and my podcast is because I want to show people what's really possible when you put fitness at the forefront of your life, not let it purely control you, but allow it to be just a part of your lifestyle and what 
just even that can do for not only your physical health, but your mental health as well. So absolutely. Yep. I agree. So today's, so today's topic, you know, I don't really do too many scientific, scientific type topics actually. So, so we're going to give this one a little go today. Um, we're going to talk, talk gut health. Um, every okay. time I hear you on the pot on, uh, the excellence cartel, you know, it's talking about, uh, SIBO protocols. So we're yeah. going to get a little into that and stuff like that. But, um, just a general aspect for a bunch of people who don't know, if you can sum it up in a, like in some sort of aspect, what is yep. gut health in general? Gut health or GI health or troubleshooting dysbiosis or SIBO, you may have heard of these words, you know, those of you listening to this podcast, all it comes down to is making sure that you are digesting your food and you are eliminating your waste, okay? You don't want your, your waste to sit in your GI. Um, for example, a lot of women who I work with will have about two to three bowel movements per week. And I always, and they, they've always had this and they're like, Oh, it's normal. I only poop, you know, three times a week. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not normal. You should be going like two or three times a day. And they're like, yeah. wait, what? So at the, at the, I guess the, the word the, at the crux of it all or, or whatever, or the, the main point of GI health is basically to make sure that you are digesting and you are eliminating and that's it. Awesome. And what, and let's start out with, I want to get your view. What's the number one problem? with people and, and their gut health? Like what's the number one cause you usually see for it? And why is that typically the cause? I think the number one cause, and it, this is a very, that's, this is why, you know, GI health is actually very simple to fix at its core. The cause is stress. Um, and, you know, it's chronic stress and it's, it's acute stress. And um, it's just, Stress will, you know, decrease your, your stomach acid and cause a condition called hypochloridia. Okay. So when you have low stomach acid, you begin to have impaired protein digestion. You need betaine and pepsin to digest protein. So when your stomach acid levels are decreasing, you know, the protein that you eat begins to sit in your GI and release gas. Okay. And when you start releasing more gas in your GI, the good bacteria and bad bacteria balance gets disturbed. And that's why the name is called dysbiosis. It's, it's a disruption of the gut biome, okay? And then that's what leads to things like estrogen dominance and hypothyroid and inflammation and all the other things that kind of travel upstream from the GI. Awesome. But it's all stress. Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed, at least from, from my aspect, you know what, I was before I was with my coach now who takes this into very big considerations as to how well you digest food, especially as bodybuilders, you know, we had to process, you know, 400 plus, sometimes 400 plus grams of carbs for you. It's a, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Apparently. Double you know, that at least. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to be able to keep that going and keep that and keep it all healthy. And it's kind of finding yeah right foods and keep it stress under it. But what's the main way that you typically kind of get people to relieve their stress? Because this is a big one. Um, Cause there's multiple different ways that at least I do it for clients. Sometimes it's from them being overly stressed from not eating enough actually. 
which yeah. is really funny. Um, but you know, that and just everybody's always just on their toes about every single thing, which is not how you totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from a pure stress reduction standpoint, I first like to educate my clients and make them understand that stress is cumulative. Okay. Um, the body is very resilient. It's designed to take, you know, deadlines for work, or it's designed to take, you know, you breaking up with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know, that's fine. But it's when repeated life situations keep hitting you nonstop that it puts you into a deficit, so to speak, and your body can't keep up. And so when, so people need to realize that you can only take so much before things start to start to crack. Okay. And so you need to balance then your training, your cardio, you know, your dieting, if you're dieting too hard, plus your personal life stress, plus work and business stress, all of these things kind of like weigh you down. Okay. And you have to consider your resiliency, just how much you can take. And so it's always the type A people, right? The people who are like the go-getters, the hardest workers in the room, so to speak, right? They're the ones who are more susceptible to conditions like adrenal insufficiency and gut dysbiosis via stress because they think they can take on the world. And we're not machines, we're humans. We need downtime. And you know, I try to make my clients understand that. Yeah. Do you, do you typically try to make them schedule downtime too, at least from the start? Like if you notice any signs that they have um, any sort of issues with gut health, do you make them take time off? Totally. I mean, it, we can get into, you know, a protocol later on perhaps, yeah. but you know, the number one thing that I do is tell people to scale back. So, you know, you know, it's by no coincidence that a lot of my clients, these women are doing hours of cardio a day. They've been dieting for months and months off and on yo-yo dieting for years, training five or six days a week. And, uh, you know, I tell them first thing is like, take like a week off completely from training. And then I pull them down to like two or three days of like lightweight stuff, like 20 to like 30 reps. And I have them walk in the morning, like for a mile or two. That's it. Yeah. It's all they do. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. gorgeous. Cause I, even yeah. doing, at least for me doing 10K steps, I don't know, but you've been going for a morning walk is great, but only stick it to like a mile or two is like, it's really, tough. It's, it's really difficult for me because I yeah. like to do those nice morning walks where I somehow just yeah. go forever. Um, yeah. but what, what's a few ways that maybe with stress, especially if people are chronically um, stressed, one thing I kind of look at is kind of educating my clients what to look for if they are stressed yeah. and how it's affecting their gut health. What's a couple things yeah. that people can take away from this part of the aspect, which is stress? Um, what can they look for maybe as like a body signal that- sure that stress might be taking a toll on their health? Yeah. I think first of all is, um, you know, how they react to situations. So if you, you know, find yourself being a little short tempered and a little snippy, um, that may be a sign that, you know, life is sort of weighing down on you. You're taking on a little too much. So that's obviously something that, you know, your close, you know, friends and family can help you, you know, spot. Um, second, I would say is, you know, pay attention to your sleep. A lot of people who are stressed out, they can't seem to fall asleep. Or if they do, they tend to wake up in the middle of the night, their mind is racing. They're almost like physically like, you know, they're physically tired, but their mind is like forcing them to like stay awake and think about things to do the next day. 
or so that that's called like you know wired yet tired okay yeah. and so those are those are like two like you know easy symptoms to kind of pick out and then like if you were to run blood work i mean you would probably see high cortisol uh, cortisol is a stress hormone that's released yep. by your adrenal glands and you want that level to be about like a nine or a 10 in the morning. And so you probably see elevated cortisol. I've seen cortisol in like the twenties or thirties um, on women who are experiencing the early stages of adrenal insufficiency. Yeah. I also look for, I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand too is how like when they're digesting food, like how they're feeling. I think this is yeah. one thing that I get into with is it might not be from exactly stress, but I always notice when I am stressed, I am more bloated too. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is one of the big, this is one of the big, at least physical signs that I see is my, um, I'll give an example. My client the other day, I mean, he's vegetarian. So we kind of have some, some options to choose from. Um, we're on a yeah. little tighter window for protein and where we get it from. But, um, I remember I was like, take note of what you're eating and send me like what he has. We'll go into few food choices, I guess, next, because this is kind of correlating with, with it. And he was eating a bunch of Greek yogurt. And I was like, hmm. I was like, how often are you eating that? I'm like, he's like, I mean that like three times a day. Okay. I was like, <laughs> let's pull that down. I was like, let's pull that back. I was like, how are you feeling after that? Because he didn't know digestive health because a lot of people aren't educated on this stuff. And right. He goes, I was like, do you feel any bloating? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm always like bloated <laughs> after eating. I'm like, all right, let's pull that back to like once or twice a week. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, replace it with something else that I gave on the food list. And we'll go from there. And after that, he yeah. experienced throughout the week, I no bloating. Like right away. I was like, all right, that's step one. So for you, how does food choices kind of affect gut health as well? Because this is this is something that a lot of people don't realize, and it's a pretty easy step to implement into how to kind of detect what foods work for you and what foods don't. Yeah, I mean, I would say the you know obvious main offenders in terms of you know what we put into our bodies would be alcohol, number one, and uh, you know cheat meals. You know, a lot of people still have this perception that cheat meals have to be the most unhealthy, like the greasiest, biggest burger, or like a nacho challenge, or you know going out and binge eating at a, at a Chinese food buffet or something. And that's not true. That's been perpetuated by social media. So remove those two first off. And then, you know, I would start digging into things like FODMAPs, which are like basically like carbohydrates and, you know, fake sugars that don't seem to break down as well in some individuals. I'd also look into removing red meat, maybe even go as far as removing poultry, things like 99% lean ground turkey just don't seem to digest well for some people. Um, and then go into looking at vegetables, uh, especially cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and, uh, you know, uh, cauliflower, even Brussels sprouts. These things are main offenders in terms of producing uh, intra-abdominal GI gas. Um, so those are all main offenders that I would remove. And of course, like you said, dairy, some people just don't react well to dairy. So lactose it causes inflammation and that leads to dysbiosis as well. Um, so those are the areas that I would first look at and begin removing. And I always start all my GI health protocols on like a baseline diet where foods are very simple and they are repetitive. The diet's not fun. Okay. But from there, you can start adding things in one by one, and you can easily tell what's bothering you and what's not. Yeah. Um, now, 
I think the hardest thing for people to hear probably was that first one where you said uh, no alcohol um, and no no cheat meals. Um, I kind of want to delve into, we'll delve into both of these real quick, but um, I feel like cheat meals also just people referencing it as that, as such as a cheat meal, which puts a negative connotation on the thing in general leads to more stress because they feel like they're cheating on their diet and they really should be on point. Um, And the alcohol thing is kind of just difficult for people in general. So, um, but those are, I think it's just that negative connotation that they have with it, with the cheat meals that really kind of more than, I feel like calling it a free meal might give it a bit of leeway, but you know, they shouldn't go that far. (laughs) You know, know, I tell people, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's just basically like taking a break, enjoying time with your friends and family and, you know, not worrying about macros or weighing food on a scale and just don't binge eat. That's what I tell my clients. Yeah. Um, and go over how you deal with clients with the alcohol too. Cause this is one thing that I am trying to, um, implement, um, is something where if you really want to take it seriously, like you got to get off alcohol for at least a good amount of time because yeah. then you could slowly maybe introduce it every once in a while, but it's, it's at that point where you need to take a break, especially someone who's been a college student recently, you know, <laughs> going through that was, uh, I'm now almost five months over actually. Um, and it's probably good. been the best for my gut health. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, alcohol is just, you know, it's, it's so ingrained in our society and culture. I mean, it's a worldwide thing, you know, since the dawn of time, you know, humans were getting drunk, right? Yeah. So it, it's hard to remove it completely unless you're like an all out like fitness fanatic, like, you know, I am like, I don't drink. I know a handful of other people who don't drink, but the majority of people who are into fitness do drink. Okay. Yeah. And it's fine to have a couple glasses of wine couple beers, you know, here and there, but it's when you already have a GI issue and you're bloated and constipated all the time. Yes. It's time to take a break so that you can heal up so that you can enjoy it again later on. Um, and the only reason is mainly is because alcohol is inflammatory and it obviously is not good for your liver. And so when your liver is under stress, your phase one and phase two detoxification process of estrogen, um, gets impaired. And so especially with women, they end up with more estrogen recirculating into their bodies because of this impairment. Um, so they end up with something called estrogen dominance because the estrogen is not being you know, getting, gotten rid of through the bile and into the stool. Um, so that's the reason why I cut out alcohol. And I explain that you know, to people, but you know, it's totally up to them you know, if they want to listen or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the one thing, um, I actually did a post on what the effects of alcohol do on the body. And I was yeah. like, it recir- and I was like, it shuts down your liver and it recirculates your hormones, which is yeah. not, especially if you're also from a male perspective, that is not good too, because like you mentioned, it leads to estrogen dominance as well. Which, yeah, or increased aromatization. Yeah, which for a male is pretty detrimental, especially if you want to get into fitness or anything with bodybuilding. You do not yeah. want to be anywhere close to estrogen dominant. I can tell you that. Um, Correct. So... Uh, one thing I want to go into too is, you know, this is really funny because I'll go along with this food choice real quick is um, the the uh, poultry and the vegetables. I think a yeah. lot of people always get caught up with this and it's, um, and you brought up two that might offend a lot of bodybuilders, which is poultry and yeah. broccoli. 
you know, the old, the old chicken, rice, and broccoli meals. Everybody's always eating. Um, I actually just took broccoli out of my own diet because I realized yeah. I was getting gas from it. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize this is back when we were kids, everybody thinks it's the coolest thing to be the one with the most gas or the loudest, you know, fart in the room <laughs> um, per se, but it's, but that's actually like a sign that it's pretty bad, especially when as a kid, I mean, I give a lot of freedom, like as a parent, I'll do that, but it's like processed foods can have a huge effect too on you. But yeah. you know, that's what I notice is build up a gas is not, is not cool. Like all my no. friends thought it was cool in the past year. I'm like, every time I'm like, that's not okay whatsoever you don't want that no yeah <laughs> so i want to get to how does also sleep affect gut health um well like sleep, is it from is it just correlated to stress or is it on its own can affect gut health too sleep mainly is correlated to stress and then stress you know is correlated to the low stomach acid thing um, and then obviously like sleep, you know, you're also, you know, when you're not sleeping well, you have a dysregulated, uh, circadian, circadian rhythm. Yeah. And so when you have a dysregulated circadian rhythm, you, that also impacts digestion when you have bowel movements or lack thereof. So the whole like clock gets messed up when your sleep isn't on, you know, a certain schedule, like a consistent schedule. So it all has a, a trickle down effect eventually into gut health okay and what is what is one thing that i may be missing here that you could possibly go over we'll go into a protocol after this but i want to go what's another main point that a lot that a lot of people typically don't associate with gut health that might be hindering hindering them i think a lot of people just don't understand how things are connected and how the gut is really where all coaches or people without coaches who have, you know, hormonal problems like hypothyroid, for example, the gut is really the, the centerpiece that you should be investigating. I can't tell you how often I get women who are on level thyroxine or cytomel, some form of T3 or T4 or a combination of, and they all are bloated and they all don't go to the bathroom at least, you know, one or two times a day. That's not by coincidence. That's because it's connected. Um, or women who are taking like Wellbutrin or any sort of SSRIs, any sort of antidepressants. And coincidentally, they're also bloated. Um, it's connected. So GI health is just so important. So I encourage anyone who's listening to this, who may be in that situation, if you're on level thyroxine, you're on some sort of SSRI, look into your GI health, look into your stress, your sleep, your digestion, and start fixing those areas, maybe using the information that you've garnered from this podcast. And I guarantee you that one day your doctor is going to be like, hey, listen, your thyroid levels are fine. We don't need the thyroid meds anymore. And we can pull you off the antidepressants. I've had that happen to countless clients over time. Yeah, I think a lot of people, to touch on that, I think a lot of people are afraid to go to their doctors. But I feel like doctors aren't technically big on nutritional, on nutritional health too as well, which is... I don't like to call too many people out on, on my podcast, but I feel like that's a issue that I see a lot is like you get, you talk about a lot is you get clients who come to you with all these problems and their doctors really don't know how to handle them properly, which is a yeah. struggle. 
It's tough because, you know, the doctors mean well, but, you know, I have doctors on my team as clients and from my conversations with them, the nutrition piece just isn't a, a focus point in med school. And, um, you know, as a coach, you know, I, I, need, I feel like I, I need to say this in case other coaches are listening, is that, you know, you're not a doctor, so you shouldn't try to, you know, play one in, in place yeah. of a doctor, no matter how poorly you feel he or she is doing their job. So, you know, I like to suggest that the client maintains agency, meaning that if your client is improving, right, you can suggest to them, hey, maybe you don't need the level thyroxine anymore. Talk to your doctor about it. And the doctor will run labs and they can make the determination to pull them off the medication. In the end, you win. You know, the, they, they make the decision based off of your call, but you're not the one pulling the medication off of the client, right? Yep, yep. exactly. Um, and I think that comes with just a level of trust with the client. Like that's yeah, like, absolutely. you, you have to build that, you have to build that trust up there. Um, it also right. takes a fairly long time of learning someone's body to actually do that. I mean, you exactly. seem to, you seem to learn bodies pretty quickly. Um, for me, at least as a starting coach, I would give advice to anybody. I mean, I've been doing this now for eight months. Yeah. Like eight months now, uh, coaching yeah. and one thing I would say is just take your time. The one thing they, that clients don't get back is time. And the more you get to understand someone's body, even if it's fairly slowly and they still progress with you and they stay with you, you're just going to learn more and you're going to be able to adapt. So it's just keep, keep what Jeff and I both just said in mind with that. And yeah. kind of transitioning into something more serious, we brought up multiple times, which is uh, SIBO. Um, yeah. can you kind of go into what is SIBO and then we'll go into maybe an example protocol over how to possibly fix it. Yeah. So SIBO is a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and it is basically the presence of too much, you know, bad or good bacteria, whatever kind it is that's in the small intestine. And it shouldn't be because most of your bacteria should reside in the lower intestines. Yeah. So so when that happens, you know, people get, you know, the bloating, they get the constipation or diarrhea, uh, which are manifestations of two different types of SIBO. Um, and you can get a test done uh, through a gastroenterologist um, and it's called the lactulose test. And it is basically a synthetic sugar and they make you drink it. And then you basically um, blow into like a device and it measures the levels of um, you know, methane gas or whatever types of gas that are produced by um, you know, the, the bacteria that are inside your GI. And through that measurement, they determine what kind of silo that you have. Um, however, you know, the, the cor courses of treatment medically are just to put you on antibiotics. And the, um, the efficacy of that is very, very poor. Um, I think it's like, like 40 or six, 40 to 50% effective and almost like 90% <laughs> of patients who were treated had recurring SIBO. So that's like really, really bad. Like, first of all, it only works for half of the people. And then most of the people, like 90% of the people had to get retreated again. Um, so it's just not the right way to go about it. Yeah. So, so how, how do you go about fixing it? Cause I think this is one thing well, how do you even go about, so you said constipation, diarrhea, and poor bowel yeah. movements is basically the main way to kind of detect it. Uh, yeah. 
the thing is, is like the, if you have Cybo, it's going to be a, a pretty clear presentation when you're okay. looking at these photos. Like the women that I coach who start with me that have that I suspect have Cybo, they look like they are in their third trimester of pregnancy. Okay, it is a unmistakable look. You can't miss it, um, and it's persistent. It's like it never goes away. So we're all accustomed to occasional bloat and, and, you know, some gas, right. But this is consistent. So if you see that, you know, and then, you know, I'll run them through, you know, my, my protocol and we can, we can discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically that's what we're getting into right here. So how do you, how do you go about fixing it? Um, I don't know if you need an example, maybe like an age or gender. I don't know. No, what no. You so, uh, but so what I how do, you do number one is, um, you know, I have them do a stomach acid test, and that is basically mixing uh, a quarter teaspoon of baking soda in five ounces of water. And I have them drink that first thing in the morning and sit down and tell me how long it takes for them to burp. Um, usually you should get a burp within two to three minutes. That indicates that the stomach acid levels are high enough that they are interacting with the baking soda. Um, but if you have very low levels of stomach acid, I've seen burp times go into the 20 to 30 minute range. And I couple that piece of data with their clinical symptoms. Like they tell me they only have like three bowel movements a week. I look at their photos. They look like they're pregnant and boom, you know, that's that silo right there. So then what I do is I ask them about the training and their cardio and their experience and their history there. Most likely they do a lot of orange theory, CrossFit, running, uh, workout like five, six days a week. So I pull them off of that. Remember, so I get them to rest, right? That starts to bring cortisol down. Coincidentally, a lot of them also can't sleep. They're on sleep medications. They're antidepressants, right? So when you start to unlock the digestion and then you get the bowel movements going, you get the sleep going, that's when everything kind of like unravels. The mess gets unraveled and you begin to fix things one after another. Um, the diet piece is like low FODMAP, no dairy, no red meat, obviously no alcohol, no cheat meals. I use a lot of fish, rice, potatoes, spinach, bananas, blueberries. That's all they're eating. Rice cakes. Um, it's like seven or eight different things. Yeah. Um, and then I keep protein pretty low. Cause remember when you have low stomach acid, you can't digest protein. So like, let's say 150 pound female, 160, I have them eating hundred grams of protein. That's it. Okay. And I usually feed them up. So like the carbs are pretty low and I bias fats. So same woman, same size, probably around 70 grams of fat. So we start from there, we add calories, and then they, they drop weight and the bloat goes away. Awesome. And then do you also have them, are you running? Um, well, I actually have the supplement right here. Are you running betaine pepsin while they're at, while yes. they're at so, it? Okay. Exactly. So if they test low in stomach acid, they are absolutely getting on a betaine pepsin supplement. Um, and then there are other supplements that I'll run um, – Two are, are called, it's a product made by Metagenics. And one is um, berberine based, which is coincidentally also a GDA. Yeah. And the other one is oregano oil based. And yeah. these are supplements that will kill off basically the bad bacteria. And then I'll also run something called Clear Labs Interface, which is a biofilm remover. And what biofilm is, is basically a, a biological substance, okay, that is in, you know, all parts of the body. But in relation to the GI, it's basically how bacteria will stick to parts of your GI wall. It's the actual substance that, that, that they colonize on. So this particular supplement helps break that 
that compound down so that the bacteria can be kind of like flushed out. And okay. that, that's basically what I run. Okay. And then from, so how long do you typically run this, uh, this protocol for, is there a specific amount of time that usually works like an average? Yeah. On average, probably about eight weeks, eight to 10 weeks. Okay. And then you slowly, like you kind of mentioned before, previously in the podcast, you, you slowly kind of add one food at a time until they have yep. like, a bunch of options to kind of choose from. Is that kind of how you go? Yeah, um, exactly. And then at least what I have with my clients, I sometimes, if they have digestive digestive problems and I try to fix it, um, they might not have SIBO, but um, just a little bit of digestive issues. I at least have them do a food log. That's one thing that yeah. I think a lot of people should do. That's one advice I have a lot of people should do if you want to track your digestive health, at least for your food choices wise, keep a, keep a food log and see how you feel after every meal. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then if you feel like crap after one meal, you kind of bring it down into, you break it down to what you were having and you kind of do a little, do a little combo kind of each the next few days to kind of see which, which food you added in made you feel like shit. Um, and, then you, and then you do it that way. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. So once, so once they're done the protocol where you just keep adding food, you keep going and that's really it, right? Get them all. Yeah. Well, you know, after, you know, I would say probably like 10 or 12 weeks, they're ready to reintroduce stuff like, you know, stuff like, you know, bread, um, you know, a little bit of red meat, a little bit of chicken um, and, you know, all the other foods, you know, I guess they're, it's limitless, right? We can try here and there. But once you get the GI system functioning well again, you know, humans, we're designed to eat like anything. You know, we yeah. just can't eat like tin cans like goats can, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you know we're, we're designed to eat anything, you know, in small amounts, right? So that's the goal is to get every client off of the supplements and, and to the, uh, you know, get their bodies to a point where they can process things normally again and live a normal life. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, I get rid of all the bad bacteria. Um, now that might leave a lot of good bacteria. Now, is there su- now I know there might, there's such a thing as having, uh, too much good bacteria, correct? Right. When it comes to GI health. The, the thing with bacteria is that nobody knows how much each individual is supposed to have. Yeah. Um, it's extremely, extremely variable in terms of genetics, ethnicity, um, epigenetics. There are so many factors that go into how much gut bacteria each person should have. So there is not like a list saying like, okay, 1 billion of this, you know, 1 billion yeah. of this, check, check, check. There's nothing like that in existence. It's all individual and it's all about how you feel and function, perform, look, etc. But is there too much good bacteria? Can there, can there be? Is that like an, is that, is that? Yeah, I think, I think there could be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and lastly, at least touching on gut health before we get into, I actually had a few questions kind of asked by a few of my followers, um, to kind of ask you, um, what's like the last thing that you kind of want to give about gut health real quick that you think a lot of people could take away? I think that, you know, if you are experiencing any of the symptoms that we've talked about today. Number one, stop drinking alcohol. Cut alcohol out just for two weeks and see how you feel. Um, 
you know, you don't have to go on a full on, you know, low FODMAP, no red meat, whatever protocol, but for two weeks, try to eat foods that are as close to nature as possible. Like ask yourself, does this come from an animal? Does it come from a tree or bush, the ground, the ocean? If it doesn't, you don't eat it. If it's packaged or like there are multiple steps in creating this food item, like a chicken breast versus a chicken nugget, right? The nugget goes through more processing, okay? Apply that logic to everything that you put in your mouth. Guarantee you just doing that alone two weeks, you'll feel a difference. Awesome. Uh, so you heard that here first, guys. Just just eat whole foods. Literally, whole food. a whole food diet will That's fix it. not only your GI health, it will fix a lot of problems, honestly, in your life. Um, and you'll yeah. feel a million times better. Um, so I'm going to get to a few questions here from a few friends. Actually, you might know the first question, the first uh, person asking this. Um, <laughs> one of the coaches on my team is uh, Thomas uh, Monk. Uh, oh, okay. You guys had him on as a guest. Uh, yeah. he, he asked, uh, what three things like, have you taken away from being part of um, the Excellence Cartel and doing the podcast so far? Three things, man. I think the first thing would be that um, you're better off working with other people than working alone. Um, I am someone who I'm like kind of like a lone wolf type of guy. I always think like my ideas are the best, my way, you know, I don't want to do anyone else's ideas. It's my ideas are the best. Right. But working with Jeff and Jason have sort of, has sort of like opened my mind up to like considering other people's points of view and being more of a team player than a lone wolf. And I would say that since we started that podcast, a year ago, uh, my business has grown dramatically uh, because of it. So I think it's I think it's a great idea to work with others. Um, second thing I think is aligning yourself with the right people. Um, you know, because you got to work with with other people that are kind of like in the same mindset and growing in the same direction as you, right? And I think the third thing is like have fun with your work. You know, we have a lot of fun on that podcast. Yeah. You know, it's not just about the nitty gritty bodybuilding and science stuff. We like to make fun of each other. We joke around. And I think that's important to, to kind of have that, like, don't take yourself too seriously mindset when it comes to, to your work and business. Yeah, I think, I think, you, I think you're actually going to like this next one because this goes along with uh, having fun. Um, what's, uh, what's your favorite hamstring exercise? <laughs> um, if, you don't, <laughs> if, you don't listen to the, if you don't listen to their podcast, just go – and listen to it. Um, it's been brought up multiple times that Jeff's kind of forced body part might be his hamstrings and it comes up. You know, so, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you what exercise I hate. And I've been like forcing myself to do for years and I just like don't feel it. And I'm going to stop doing it. It's stiff leg deadlifts. Stiff leg deadlifts of any kind, like from the floor or from a platform or from the rack or whatever. I always feel in my lower back. I just don't feel my hamstrings. So I would say the, the exercise that there are two exercises that I like for hamstrings, which I feel it, and it's the laying leg curl, but it has to be high reps and then the seated leg curl. But I like to sit forward on the machine and kind of like pull myself up to the front so that there's no like lower back involvement. Cause as you curl back, your butt kind of comes off the seat. I like to like hold myself in place. And then I feel that really well in the insertion points. Yeah. So um, those would be my two actually. Yeah, I actually, quick tip for a lot of people too, if you're doing hamstrings or you're using a lying hamstring curl, you know, maybe invest in some uh, 
wrist straps or something, lock yourself, lock yourself into place. I think that's a yeah. key. So that's what I do. I usually put my wrist straps on my, on the handles. So I make sure uh, I'm like tight on there and I can't move. Yeah. So that locks me in. Um, and then last question I got was what's your goals, whether it's, what's like your next big goal at least or your next big ambition, whether it's through your coaching or your uh, coaching or bodybuilding that you want to kind of um, with coaching i would like to turn first call of fitness into a commercial gym one day um i just bought a house and uh you know this this property actually has a, a fairly large two-car garage it's about like 800 square feet so i bought a whole bunch of equipment from a gym that went out of business in new york and i'm moving in next week actually and i'm having all the equipment shipped to me um, later on in the week. So it's going to be like a test kitchen type of thing. I'm going to yeah. have a couple select clients, friend, close friends um, work out with me there. But one day, yeah, I'd like to open a gym. I'd like to see how the industry sort of shifts after all this COVID stuff, um, if it ever dies down at all, and how the, the landscape of it all changes in terms of the fitness industry. Um, in terms of bodybuilding, personal goals, I would love to be able to stand on stage at, at um, nationals one day as a light heavyweight and actually place. Um, that would be it for me. You know, I have no pro card aspirations. Bodybuilding is just, you know, one aspect of my life. It's definitely not something that I put all my eggs in my basket with. Um, so yeah, I would say those yeah. two goals. Yeah. You don't need to be, a lot of people think you need to be a pro bodybuilder, be successful in this industry. And I can tell you that's a hundred percent incorrect. Uh, but everybody, I've never stepped on stage. So my, so I'm going to answer this too, because this person asked, um, my coaching thing is honestly just to get to a solid client base where I'm happy doing both my full-time job and my, and my coaching. I think that's, yeah. that's the best part is I like impacting on both fronts. I like being a person who impacts multiple different avenues, whether it's the podcast coaching or my full-time job. It's like, that's pretty cool to impact in three different ways in life. Uh, yeah. bodybuilding is just step on my first, just step on stage. Honestly, I haven't, I'm only 20, right. 22, turned 23 yeah. this coming month, but it's like plenty of time to kind of just step, step on the gas and kind of get on stage whenever yeah. and my coach kind of oh. say so. So hopefully one day like yours is kind of get on the national stage. Um, that's kind of a goal of mine. Uh, yeah. so, so those are my two goals as well. And then. To kind of finish off our podcast here, uh, first off, I want to say thank you for coming on. Um, of course. And I run my own three questions that I ask every single guest. Um, each one has a different answer to this. So first one is, what three things, I know we went over a lot of things to take away already, but what three things you want people to take away, whether it's from kind of your quick look at your journey to becoming a coach, whether it's gut health, whether it's what we just discussed, like what three things you want people to take away from this, from this episode? I would say, um, you know, the world is full of opportunity. So from a coaching perspective, um, you know, if you are in a position right now where you're unhappy and you know, deep down inside that it's the wrong place to be, don't stay there. Uh, try to explore a couple things, do the best you can to lean on people. If you have them in your life, uh, temporarily so that you can get there. Um, Second thing would be, you know, be unapologetically yourself and honest. Those of you, 
you know, people who follow me on social media know that I am very unique and, uh, you know, I'm very to say, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I'm very honest and, you know, it might rub some people the wrong way, but a lot of people will also, you know, love you for it. So be true to yourself. And then I think the third thing would be like, don't tie yourself to any sort of like, you know, any form of success or any sort of material success, because all of that can change in an instant. Um, you want to tie yourself to your ability to create and your ability to adapt and to know that you are resilient because then if something happens and your goals should change, you don't have like an identity crisis, you know? Exactly. So I would say those are the three sort of businessy fitnessy type things I would say. Awesome. Um, second one is what, uh, three books and or podcasts do you recommend everybody either read or listen to? Not your, not your, now, own. not your, now, own. now that I'm on yours, yours is actually, you know, I gotta say you are a very good interviewer. Um, Thank you. especially like your age, like I, I would not have guessed that you were, you know, 20 something, you know, obviously like you told me you you just got out of school, but you conduct yourself with like a lot of maturity, which is really cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so I would say, fuck, like listen to your podcast. You know, I'm going to start listening to your podcast. Um, another, I think I would recommend, um, you know, any book by, uh, what is it? What's the guy's name now? I can't, I can't remember. In terms of education, I would say Chris Aceto's books are really good. Uh, he has one that's called like all you, everything you ever need to know about fat loss. And then, oh, Scott Abel or Abel, uh, it's A-B-E-L. He wrote a bunch of books on metabolism and how calories in and calories out aren't, you know, the end all be all. Like I know we started talking about that when we first started recording. Um, all of his stuff is good. Um, and then the period repair manual by Laura Bryden is uh, really good as well. Awesome. Um, and I want to get this from you. I think this is, I actually make a special exception over. I'll do one more question because I think this is the coolest one because I'm All a right. podcast fan. What has been your favorite guest so far on your, on your own podcast? Oh, geez. I would say Phil Viz. Oh, this is my favorite you know episode. Do you know who he is? I want to get him. I want to get him on my show. So Phil, if you ever do listen to this, you know, I'm going to get you on here. Um, that's actually, that actually is one of, if not the favorite, my favorite episode, just because it's a very high bodybuilding centric type one, but he also just yeah. gets to it straight on some of the parts. So I love that. I love it. Yeah. Phil is a, uh, he's a very, he's a brilliant, brilliant, almost like a mad yeah. scientist type of guy. And I actually coached with him for a short three months, but his approaches were just too intense for me. I just wasn't, you know, at that point in time, I just wasn't really at that level at that mindset to, to comply to his protocols, but he puts out some great athletes and talking to him on the podcast was like almost having like one of those like celebrity, like yeah. coaches bodybuilding, which was awesome. So yeah, he knows a lot. We talked about insulin on that episode. Yeah, I highly recommend if you are into bodybuilding or anything, actually go listen to that episode because it was probably a game, one of the game changers for how I look at things, especially with yeah. the way I coach. Um, I don't, I don't coach anybody in hands, but it gave me a ton of perspective with how to handle insulin sensitivity and all that. So if you're into that or you want to learn more about that, go listen to that episode. Um, and lastly, um, 
where can people kind of, this is a, your, your kind of one minute of fame here, I guess you would say, um, we'll see how long it, we'll see how long it takes. Um, where can people find you? Um, anything that you want to shout out that you're working on or doing anything with, um, this your time to kind of do it. All right. Um, I mean, you know, you guys can find me on Facebook, Jeffrey Sue. My, my last name is spelled S as in, I don't know, Skittles and U as an umbrella. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm public on Facebook. So all my stuff is there. It's at first call out fitness on Instagram. And I guess the only thing going on is I'm running a lab work class teaching coaches on how to read lab work and, um, you know, running through a couple of case studies like hypothyroid, menopause, SIBO, like we talked about today, and just teaching uh, the coaches how to identify certain areas, certain markers in the lab work that point to these conditions and how to troubleshoot that. And that's going to be on November 4th. So I have like three spots left for that. There's like 12 coaches in the class already. Awesome. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely you want to, you want to contact him pretty quickly. Um, yeah. okay. So I want to say thank you for coming on, Jeffrey. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Jeffrey. I feel kind of weird saying that. I feel like oh, I'm like Jeffrey. It's either Jeff or they just call me Sue. You know? <laughs> um, I guess that was just kind of just an instinctual thing. Uh, but thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, dude, lastly, lastly enough guys, if you did enjoy this, um, definitely take a screenshot, tag us on, tag us on Instagram, on your stories, uh, share it out. We, we basically yep. share love back to anybody that tags us on our stories. So um, definitely give it to any friends who might need it, who might need to learn maybe anything that could help them in this episode. So thank when you. When are you going to post this? I'm thinking Monday. I've been posting, okay. I've been posting, I've been posting a lot once a lot sooner. So. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to share it on my social medias when, whenever awesome. you get the link. Yeah. Um, I'll have that for you over in a little bit actually. Um, and so everybody, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast.